Welcome back to the Alexander Schmidt Podcast, episode 36, addendum to episode 35. This is a, res- a response to a call in from Miss Paladina Major from Major Radio. She had what I could tell six questions about the former lecture. And first and foremost, I'd like to thank you, Miss Paladina Major, for listening in and for uh, uh, calling in and having such interesting questions and also uh, even taking notes during my show. I appreciate I appreciate the effortful listening. I appreciate the listening very much, and I thought that I would address each one of your questions and um, give you what I've got. So I'm used to um, being in the classroom where I can answer these questions, and um, uh, generally how my lectures go, because they're sort of creative and bounce all over the place, it gives me a chance to um, delve deeper into specific aspects of the the um, the lecture that I don't get a chance to when I'm just going for the broader narrative or to explain the broader narrative. And so um, there are six questions here, and I'm going to respond to them now. The first one is this: Miss um, Major asked us to um, talk more about the destructive aspect of nature and what that means. And so um, I in in modern symbols as well as ancient one observes not only a creative aspect to nature but also a conflict-ridden or destructive aspect so just as there is a tree in the garden of eden so is there a snake within it um just as there is yin on a a, a yin yang symbol uh i believe it's called the taiju um they, so is there yang uh the dark and so um also just as in life there's birth so is there death and I, I went into a couple of the symbols like Kali, where there's um there's a famous statue of her giving birth and also eating the man that she's just or the the intestines of the man that she's just given birth to, indicating that she's already eating away at him. Or like say Captain Hook, who has a hook for her hand and hates the alligator. Why does he hate the alligator? Because the alligator's already eaten a piece of him. And what does the alligator have within him? He has a clock. And so what does the alligator represent? time and how time eats away at you and so nature both creates you but also destroys you and so from dust to dust and you come from the earth and you also return to the earth and that's that's of course a major um element in even our contemporary religions and also our practices when it comes to burial um so very interesting there um i hope that helps to answer the second question was about the reference to Pokemon. That was just sort of a funny reference. Um, in the video game, basically there is a city called Saffron City, Yellow City, where there was a gym, which is where Pokemon fight, where you take your Pokemon there to get a badge. However, in this gym, there was, or in this city, there was a gym that used to, that used to be an official gym, and so now. When you, the hero, rolls through the city, the fighting gym is no longer an official gym, and so you ask, why is that? Well, right next door to them moved uh, a, a psychic-type gym, and so they were big rivals, and they had a fight, and the psychic types defeated the fighting types very easily, because in the video game Pokemon world, psychic types are strong against fighting types. And I was making the point that that illustrates even at a modern example, that um, competence 
that comes from intelligence is superior to competence that comes from simple brute physical force. Um, and it's illustrated even in a video game just as it is in an uh, epic uh, from ununified Greeks from 2,700 years ago or so. Um, the next question you made, uh, you asked, was about aristocracy and what aristocracy might mean or oligarchy to our current system of democracy. And that's a tough one to answer, but I can just give sort of a historical philosophical answer that this uh, writer, Alexis de, de Tocqueville, from the early mid 18th or 19th century, excuse me, uh, he was this French writer who some people describe as the best American writer, which is funny because he's French. Um, he, he wrote that lawyers were the aristocrats of the new America. And I, I've always wondered what to do with that. I suppose they do have a certain sort of power because they understand the measure of the law and can often be elected into office in order to um, legislate law or even judge it uh, eventually as justices or judges. And I'm not entirely sure. I would say that w my personal idea of uh, striving to be the best is to try and embody the best possible ideal I can in accordance with the values that I have. And that abstractly, I would say one could be an aristocrat in a democracy without rank similar simply by demonstrating tremendous value in some sort of uh, domain, which is also defined as having value. So um, I think if you're just doing your job really, really well, perhaps you could say that you are uh, amongst the best and representing the best qualities, and perhaps that's its own rank. And I would say that's a very interesting way of thinking about it. Um, but that's all I have to say on that for now. So, um, four, how does warfare take away one's future? Well, uh, I, I had two thoughts on this. First one is simply through premature death. Um, uh, somebody may have been living his or her life, being a farmer, having a new wife, um, having worked hard to get that wife, and, um, and by worked hard as in worked hard enough to raise the necessary money in order to give a bride price for that woman, which would have taken time, sort of like in the Old Testament, uh, like I mentioned, uh, Jacob having to take seven years to get Leah and then seven years to get Rachel. And so during that time, you might imagine that he imagined a certain ideal future where they say have a family and he lives for a certain amount of time. And so he, he acts as if that future is achievable by giving up his time and sacrificing towards that ideal. But when war comes, he has to accept and embrace a new ideal and a very different sort of future. And so if he comes to war and then he dies, he essentially worked towards an ideal future, which war stole the possibility of from him. And um, yes, and I think that Homer's trying to say that, and there are several times during the Iliad when he gives these sort of extraneous descriptions of people who died as being like their mother's favorite and things like these, just suggesting that war strips them from the narrative of their lives and makes them into something much less and much uh, and potentially much more than they were in their regular lives, but usually much less. They're just they're often say uh, some weak warrior who's defeated by a champion. But in his own life, he was um, a hero, just not on the battlefield, not in this particular game. Um, the fifth question, 
what is the relationship between the three serpents who are on Agamemnon's shield and are turned backwards, like an Ouroboros, um, and the three pairs of brothers who Agamemnon kills? Well, I suggested that those three um, snakes represent the destructive aspect of nature precisely because what is the relationship of snake to man? Well, even biblically, it's um, a snake eats man, and even classically um, in the Aeneid, which we will cover, snake eats man, um, and one of the most common motifs in fairy tales and fantasy is dragon, which is flying snake eats man, um, and even in our modern fantasies, the Hobbit, Lord of the Rings, uh, Smaug, uh, or Smog, depending on how you pronounce that. Um, and of course in Harry Potter with the basilisk, and multiple basilisks actually, and even Voldemort looks very much uh, reptilian, um, like many Luciferian figures uh, like that. So, <clears throat> I suggested that the three serpents indicated um, the destructive aspect of nature and how that will relate to the three pairs of brothers who indicate uh, sort of a created or brood of nature, something made by nature, something um, that is given life by nature, um, but which is also um, destroyed by nature. Um, and uh, th in that in this particular game, this most dangerous game of war, Agamemnon is stronger than these these men, and though nature gave these men life, um, the dominance hierarchy and the fact that Agamemnon is stronger than them, well, that's also a part of nature, and he he sends them back to that place from which um, they came, uh, as it were. And so the the sixth question was, what does it mean that we're born to die? And I think I've sort of addressed this through the the past couple answers, but it, it's more that we are born and we die, and that both are natural, and that we call we often call one the creative aspect and one the destructive aspect of nature, the fact that we come to be and then we flourish and we uh, you know, reach an apex and then we sort of decline. Um, and one might say that, well, isn't that a subjective perception of good and bad? And I would say, no, that's an objective mythological perception of um, good and bad. But I would also say that I, I would agree that it does not matter how we define it because it will happen regardless of how we define it, that we come to be and that we also pass away. And so that the nomenclature generally is good is that which is creative and leads to flourishing, and bad is generally that which is destructive and leads towards death and decay. And I would say that, yes, those are fine natural definitions that we can observe even in our language about the seasons. And so I... I <clears throat> I, uh, I am perfectly fine with ascribing uh, words like good and bad to that which happens, e even when it is natural, because it affects the social environment in which we live. And so it, I would say that in general it is good that we are born and it's sort of bad that we die, at least individually, but um, potentially very good for the species in that it allows us to refresh and adapt in a quicker way, or at least that seems to be the idea that the evolutionary psychologists like Jordan B. Peterson are putting forward right now, and it's a very interesting one. The notion being that we age simply because we adapt too slowly to the environment, and so we need to create new young copies of ourselves, our children, um, who can adapt faster than we can, 
and then uh, reproduce and continue that on. And well, um, of the ideas I've heard, that's a very particularly interesting one. So, all right. Well, this has been the Alexander Schmidt podcast, episode 36, response to Miss Paladina or Paladina, excuse me, major and major radio. And I hope that these responses were adequate. Please share, like, and call in. I'm very happy to have had the opportunity to respond. Until next time, have a great night.